Welcome to the Don't Overthink This podcast, where we explore and connect ideas without overthinking it. I'm Brian Heath. And I'm Ross Jackson. Thanks, everyone, for joining us again. So, Dr. Jackson, there is officially about a half inch of snow outside my window right now. So, uh, given that there is now snow on the ground, and we've talked about boots in the past, I was curious, would this qualify as an event worth switching to boots? It is. I, I believe that uh, Monday will be the uh, bringing out of the Doc Martens. Awesome. Well, I know everyone's super excited about that. So if anyone sees you out there, out in the community, be sure to congratulate uh, him on his boots transition. I stumbled across this interesting article. Uh, I don't know how interesting it is. It's more of this curious on your take on it, where they surveyed 1,500 recent college graduates and asked if they regretted their major. And it felt like something that uh, that we've hit on or talked about on, on, on our blog several times. 44% of them regretted their field of study that they selected. The top regret majors are include journalism, sociology, liberal arts, communication, political science, and uh, English, amongst other things. And then if they were to choose all over again, they would pick computer science, engineering, criminology, which I thought was interesting, nursing, business management, and finance. Basically all fields that have a higher earning potential and stability is basically the, the gist of the article. Curious what your responses are to that is, do you think, do you think that jives with what you think is important right now? So I, I will say, I, I don't think it is a representation of what is important right now. I think it's a reflection of what is valued right now. And I think that it's a reflection of how easy or how directly is one able to translate what they studied into some form of employment. And that the the result is, to, to me, highly contingent on the notion of recent graduates, right? So this is uh, the short-term effect of people before they've established themselves in, in a career in understanding the value of, of what they majored in or what it is that they learned. So it's it's likely it's likely reflecting the, the frustration of recent college graduates that are having a challenging time finding initial employment uh, based on their major. And, and they conflate that with the notion that their major wasn't the right one or wasn't valued in society. I think that there are majors that are much easier to land the initial job. But that if you were to survey, say, these same people 15 years from now, the people who were satisfied immediately may be the least satisfied 15 years from now. So I, I think it's an important concern. I certainly think as a society, we should come to terms with um, how we value education broadly defined, how we value the trades. I, I think that we, we have perhaps a very dated and muddle, muddied view of what all these things mean. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, obviously, there's like sort of the money bent on a lot of these jobs are higher paying and maybe more in, de more in demand, especially like the computer science, engineering, nursing, I know are like top things that typically seem to be hiring. Although the current trend in layoffs in the tech 
sector and all the other places would maybe seem to indicate that maybe those weren't the best uh, choices. Because I imagine, uh, you know, first in, first out sort of scenario on layoffs typically can happen at times. I do think it speaks to, like, as you mentioned, the values of things and what's being looked at. I think there's opportunities in the spaces like journalism and sociology and liberal arts where there's obviously an importance uh, that I think you and I would place on that. But I think there's some issue with how our economy or how their society thinks about translating that into some sort of perceived value within our current market system. Weirdly, I thought the most striking one was the criminology as being like number two, newest pick, like they would pick that one. I don't even know what that means, uh, but I think it says a lot about current issues that that crime is one that would help you make the most money or studying crime. I find that very intriguing and interesting, probably worth some more some more uh, thought time on that one. I agree. I, I think that uh, there, there's been a certain shift or at least an addition from the military industrial complex to the prison industrial complex. And certainly uh, prison and incarceration is uh, in demand in the United States and can be quite lucrative. So Dr. Heath, you, you posted, in, and I kind of want to dig deeper because you just referenced to uh, the layoffs in the tech industry, and, and you discussed how analytics is often a tool for organizational efficiency, uh, and that by analysts focusing on organizational efficiency, they can contribute appreciably to their coworkers being fired or laid off. So I was wondering what you think the ethical implications of that are for analysts and how to contend with that dynamic. Yeah, there's definitely the situation where as an analyst, you're trying to understand your organization, look for efficiencies. Typically, you're doing that in areas of numbers and, you know, how effective is a campaign, how useful is a is an inventory position, how effective is a certain thing. But it's easy to quickly get into exploring areas of the organization where people's livelihood and jobs are on the line. So if you do some analysis and it says, hey, you could do the same thing with X less people or the market is trending down. So we won't need these people as many people because there's just much less work. So there's sort of like two approaches, I think, ethically that I've seen analysts take on it. One is just to say like, what's well, my job to do this? And that's what I'm being paid to do. So they kind of like remove themselves from the situation completely and say like, treat themselves more as a computer scenario of like I I compute things, I move on, I don't contemplate it. I think unfortunately not a lot of people spend enough time thinking about what the work they do, what impact it has on others and where they fit in the world. So I think from that perspective, a lot of people just aren't even contemplating it. They may feel personally bad if they know someone, but they quickly move on and sort of say, well, that's just my job. That's what I'm paid to do. So that's what I do. So just to interrupt right there, uh, you know, I think the I think a lot of people perhaps do that. I think the problem with that approach is that literally can justify anything as long as it's your job. So no matter how heinous the activity you're involved in, uh, if if the uh, ethical argument is valid that well this is my job, so this is what I do, you literally can justify anything under that uh, structure. Yeah, it's certainly an issue. And I think it points to a lot of, uh, you know, issues with people study like the atrocities of World War II and all sort of other things that humans have done throughout history and time and saying, well, why did you do this horrible thing? It's like, well, that was my job. I was put in charge of the concentration camp. I was put in charge of doing this, you know, executing people. That was my job. 
So therefore, right. I, should be held I, I was making I was making twelve percent more than minimum wage. What could I possibly have done? Right. And I think it's I do think that when you if you were to ask people about like crimes against humanity sort of thing versus jobs, people would obviously say that hey, the crimes of humanity, hey, it's, they would they would see the breakdown of their organizational perspective of that, hey, I'm just paid to do this, so therefore it's fine to do. And so, so I think there's probably like, those people would see that. But then when you start asking them more details about it, I think the next place they naturally go to is saying, well, if I don't do this analysis and as a result, the company goes under, then everyone loses their job. So isn't it better to have a few people to lose their job than everyone at the company to lose their job? So I see that as being the next sort of line of thinking of sacrificing a few for the many is is a greater is a greater good. So therefore, my goal as an analyst is to help the decision makers figure out who those people should be or what that organization should be, so that we can indeed continue operating and moving forward. There's, I think, issues with, with that perspective as well. I think you were we were texting back and forth a little bit about it. And you mentioned, uh, um, what is it, the trolley uh, experiment? Or what is it, the trolley problem? The trolley car dilemma, where yeah. uh, there, there's five people uh, laying on a trolley track. And if you pull the lever, it'll be diverted. And, and one person will get killed instead of five. Do you pull the lever or not? Yeah. And so I think analysts are often um, at least in a position to inform management which uh, lever or which way to potentially pull it and then management was like making a call you contribute to that particular uh problem i think both of these two perspectives obviously have issues with it and i think it sort of misses a little bit of the point of of the problem of understanding your place in the world and deciding how do we even get to this point to begin with that we're analyzing whether someone should have a job or not based on something that i'm doing Sometimes analysts are in a position to ask those questions. Other times, maybe organizations aren't interested in, but I think it's then sort of on the accountability of the individual analysts to decide, is that something they want to keep doing? Are they functioning at a place that they agree and, and align to their values and perspectives? Or are they not at a place that they agree and then make the call of, for their own selves, whether it's something they're willing to, to do and move forward with? What are your initial impressions on that? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think you covered... Um, the space of the ethical dilemma for analytics well. So on a deeper level, I would say that analytics or analysts are in a position, perhaps, where they can start to critique the values that are assumed. So for instance, the, the whole question and the whole dynamic is predicated on the notion of the desirability of efficiency, and that in order to make things more efficient and therefore more profitable for the owners, uh, this is a way that we can analytically find out how to do that. And as a consequence, these people lose their job and their livelihood and experience these negative things. The analyst may say, is efficiency really the thing we ought to be optimizing? Right? Is, is there a way that we can look at um, what's the maximum number of people's lives we can enrich through this organization and still exist as an organization? So instead of being the most profitable, it's the most enriching organization that is sustainable. And that would be a very different set of analysis, right? It's not it's not looking how do we how do we reduce costs? it's It's looking at how do we take all of the resources available, 
and create a sustainable business that enriches as many people's lives as possible. Perhaps uh, the, the ethical stance that is required is for analysts in the position of having all of the uh, all of the data looking at whether or not we're even optimizing the right function. The question, based on some of the posts you had in the last few weeks, I have for you is on that perspective is like, how does management value analytics then? You know, are, are, is analytics just being reduced to this efficiency number? Uh, are they, is management even aware of that? Well, I think it's it's certainly having a moment of, of popularity and there's maybe a fear of missing out. So I think that managers have currently an inclination to get some of this analytics, whatever that is. They know that they want it. They know that it's potentially powerful. But I think that's a short run phenomenon. I think the the long run, the long run success of analytics is going to be the the extent to which analysts are able to inform senior decision making in a way that is beneficial to the organization and to those that are in the upper echelon of of the organization. What percentage of uh, management and le- our leaders would you say have this sort of perspective yet? Analytics is still about mostly number crunching versus thinking. Oh, I would say it's it's um, overwhelmingly towards the number crunching view, and and certainly not uh, remotely tied to to the thinking view. There's definitely number crunching view. The thinking view is very challenging, in my experience, to organizational leaders. One because I think a lot of them view their role as being the ones in charge who know what to do and have understood the situation and can figure it out. I think in the spots where they don't feel comfortable, they reach to the analysts and say, "Hey, crunch the numbers for me to confirm my beliefs," or to maybe in a couple of lucky situations to challenge my beliefs into a different way as opposed to confirm them. So I think the number is very small, probably like ninety-five percent of management people think analysis is just about crunching numbers, just about data, just about mathematics, and not about sort of as a thinking aspect of it. And I think in your article about de-skilling analytics, you sort of said, though, that you think management and maybe implicitly understands this, and that's why they're marginalizing it. Or can you speak to some of that dynamic that you get into there? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think that it's it's cert- I, I wouldn't place the blame necessarily at uh, individual managers. It, it is, I believe, my understanding of market economics. It's it's an inherent feature of competitive market economies that that the drive within competitive market economies is to reduce costs to gain efficiency, and that one of the ways that the the market continuously does this is by de-skilling professions. So things that that used to be an art or a guild, uh, how can you make this uh, some random person off the street without being in an apprentice program um, is able to execute this in a way that is uh, indistinguishable from somebody who's a master craftsman, right? And so uh, as, as analysis becomes more valuable within the economy, there'll be ways that are meant to democratize the ability to do it. So the the notion of everyone is an analyst because everyone can pull up a data sheet and press a button and the button does all of these uh, automated algorithm searches and optimizations. Uh, if, if all of it is done automatically, 
then the the value of being an analyst in terms of the skills to do that uh, become greatly diminished, and uh, you know the the field has been de-skilled. So I, I think that that's to the degree that uh, analytics is the number crunching. There's market forces that would de-skill it and and make it less valuable over time. The degree to which analytics is viewed as a thinking profession and that what it does is use analysis as the means to understand and critique, then kind of going back to the education data, a liberal arts education would be highly sought after as a bedrock foundation for analysts because they're they're thinkers, not number crunchers. I've frequently said that I think in a capacity, everyone is an analyst, not in a sense that they are all number crunchers, but that everyone has the capacity to think and understand and to spend time doing that and should be encouraged to do that more. So I, I do think there's like sort of the marginalizing of it of thinking, hey, everyone's an analyst in the sense that they're just crunching numbers and there's lots of computers. And so then hit, hit these buttons and make that happen uh, versus sort of a broader understanding of people being analysts as thinkers. Uh, and trying to understand and interpret uh, the world around them in, in an appropriate way. So I definitely think that there's some of that marginalization that that I see out there. So as as you indicated, I believe in your post that you know thinking is desirable, and and I think that we're both landing on the fact that we're advocating for analytics being viewed as as a thinking profession rather than a number crunching profession. But you you went into this notion that spending so much time in one's own mind thinking uh, can contribute to a delusion, either individual or organizational. And what are some of your views on how an analyst might contend with that dynamic? In your mind, as you're thinking and let's say simulating all the possible scenarios and what should you do, what you think, it's very easy to sort of get wrapped up in your thoughts and think that your thoughts are reality. And so that creates sort of like a delusion. And, you know, we all run across this where you think someone's mad at you because you because something happened and you just keep thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And then you sort of get to this like delusional state of, of your perception of it is greater than the reality or isn't the reality at all once you sort of talk to it and happen. As an analyst, as a thinking profession, you kind of get into a lot of time thinking about what's going on. And then you may be completely sort of delusional eventually as well of the organization, the people around you, their experiences and your experiences. So several ways out of that is one, try to do something that becomes real, uh, try to get out of your thoughts a little bit. And so whether that's at work to produce an actual product or share something, uh, to actually do an analysis that has an outcome that you can actually create into something tangible and actionable is something important. But you can also do this probably more regularly in like your in your hobby life. So for myself, like I do woodworking stuff. And I once I started doing it and sort of putting actual my thoughts of ideas about what I want to build into actual physical construction, you start to connect the reality in this transition point of understanding that your ideas and thoughts are valuable. But until you put it into practice, it doesn't matter much. And it kind of helps keep you grounded. So I think that is um, one key area of putting that uh, into practice. Uh, I think the other thing is trying to understand your position in the world better and understanding that you can be delusional. And so having lots of conversations and relationships and discussions with other people is another key thing. Don't just talk to other analysts all the time. 
it's very easy to get skewed quickly into like positive feedback loop into like this imaginary space as opposed to what other people have to think about it. So I think those are these two two key elements. Curious if you've found ways to to not be delusional as, <laughs> as, as an analyst yourself. I mean, so so I I don't know the degree of accuracy anyone has in in determining that they're not delusional. So I, I would be loath to make the assessment that I'm not. Uh, there there's uh, the the movie Deconstructing Harry ends on the stage or on the phrase that says uh, life consists of how we choose to distort it. So, you know, the, the notion that anyone can escape being delusional, I'm not sure I subscribe to. But I will say, uh, and again, I mean, it sounds like I'm making a plug for a liberal arts education, and, and I certainly don't mean to uh, overtly, but but I will say, one of the things that is particularly useful to me is being in contact with people that have a, a lot of different fundamental assumptions about the world, that, that different academic disciplines approach understanding the world predicated on a variety of different assumptions, and that through discussing topics with people that are from different backgrounds, they can bring different facets of reality to one's attention that, that are easy to ignore as one has focused on one particular area of study. So the, the sort of foundational assumptions are, are the key to, to not being delusional. So if one understands the, the things that one bases their understanding on, and then other people can show different bases of, of foundation that call that into question, I think one gets a gets outside of one's own head and sees the world certainly more broadly and ideally more accurately. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, of people seeing potential delusions and things in a variety of different areas and having exploration and exposure to lots of different things, whether it be like radical things, or philosophical things or other sort of elements, uh, the performance artists on the street, those exposures and understanding them can, I think, help keep you from being as delusional or at least help you see a little bit grounded. I think in some of the stuff that's going on, I think they're seeing a lot of things that maybe billionaires don't know all the things that they know what's going on in the world uh, around them. And so this may be question or think about how much should we think of management and people who maybe have gotten lucky a lot, or maybe just are really skilled and become leaders. Do we do we think that they're more delusional than the rest uh, because they're less connected to those people that that you're talking to, or do we think they're actually have some brilliant idea and we're the delusional ones to think that they're crazy sometimes in the actions they take? So, so I, I will I will say that I think the answer is that it depends, and that there's there's a world of difference between somebody who created something ex nihilo and and made their business based on their own ingenuity and then expanded and brought people into that industry or that business uh, in order to scale it upwards, right? That's very different than somebody who has access to positions and, and just inserts or gets inserted into an organization into a certain position. So somebody, you know, somebody that just happens to be into a position, whether it, you know, I mean, it could be anything, it could be nepotism, it could be money, uh, it could be that people interviewed the person and, and that person interviewed better than anyone else. 
however that person gets into that position, it's, it's to me very, very different than somebody who created something based on their own idea and built it up from the ground floor up. And, and those two can't, in my opinion, be compared at all. They're, they're very, very different. I do think that managers become increasingly delusional uh, the higher up they go. And one of the, one of the best heuristics that uh, someone whom I respect a great deal shared with me was the, the test of, are you isolated from information? And the test is, when was the last some, some, when was the last time somebody told you an inappropriate joke at work? Um, and if the answer is nobody tells you an inappropriate joke, that doesn't mean that you work in an organization that doesn't tell inappropriate jokes. It means that nobody feels comfortable telling them to you. Uh, if, if nobody has told you something jokingly that they shouldn't, you're isolated and therefore potentially delusional. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting heuristic. I like it. It makes you wonder, when's the last time someone told me an inappropriate joke? Uh, I tell you them all the time, Dr. Yeah, 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 yeah. For those interested in hearing inappropriate jokes, be sure to purchase the uh, bloopers and outtakes of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. Well, I think... Uh, that's the top of our time for today. Dr. Jackson, as always, it was great chatting with you. Looking forward to talk to you in a few weeks. Any f closing words? Any I great revelations? I hope that you enjoy warm feet in your boots. I know that I will starting Monday. Yeah, everyone stay warm out there for the holiday season. And we look forward to talking to you in a few weeks. If you like this content and you want to have uh, read more uh, about this, feel free to join us on our website at don'toverthinkthis.net where we post uh, similar ideas up on a regular basis. And thanks everyone for joining. We'll see you in a few weeks.